what, that'll get you ready for heaven, huh? I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to the day to see the Lord. And when all of the earthly things are subsided and then heaven we see face to face our blessed Savior. What a, what a great day that'll be. Today I'm going to speak to you on the subject on upgraded faith. In fact, my text is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth. And he said there, there are three things that are going to last forever. There are three things that, that are critical to the Christian life. Three things that, that, that remain in our lives. And that is, first of all, is faith. Faith. And then he says, hope. And then he says, love. And then he says, the greatest of these is love. Interesting text interesting verse because the Bible really speaks about these three vital areas that really determine our destiny. And that's why we chose to use the sermon title series, Upgraded, because we're going to talk about upgrading our faith. Every day we see the importance of upgrading. We've been in our home for 18, 20 years, and we look around and we see some old-time stuff. I was going to the store, Home Depot, one day, and I, I was looking at some of the new gadgets coming out, microwaves and refrigerators. They talk to you now. You know, they tell you, how you doing, how you doing? It's, uh, it's just like, it's weird. So I'm, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I'm, I went home and looked at our, our stuff, and I'm thinking, man, we need to upgrade. Uh, in fact, uh, not too long ago, I, I upgraded my phone. I used to have one of them flip things, you know. Now I've got what we call a smartphone. It's a smartphone. It's amazing in that little teeny box. I mean, I can, I can hit YouTube and find out what's going on in the world. Uh, I can take pictures of somebody and send it to, to anybody that I want to send it to. Uh, it is amazing how that little phone can do many, so many wonderful things. We went, and, and the ladies was showing us all this. Of course, I get overwhelmed really quick. I mean, I just got into texting. So when she was telling me about, look at all the wonderful, the technology just blows my mind. Uh, it's where the things are smarter than you are. Then you know you're in trouble. And uh, it's amazing how we live in a day where they're constantly challenging us to upgrade our computers need to be upgraded. Our, our clothes, our styles of clothing need to be up, upgraded. Our education needs to be upgraded. Our relationships. And I kept thinking about all the things that we constantly need to upgrade, upgrade. But the Apostle Paul encourages us to upgrade our faith. And it's so important to upgrade our spiritual life. Many times we tend to the physical things that, that affect us in this world and we fail to upgrade the most important aspect of our life and that is the spiritual man. We, we have a tendency sometimes to fail to upgrade our spiritual life. And, and this morning I want to speak to you on the first of what Paul's admonition to the Christian was all about. He says, I want you to upgrade your faith. Faith. Now, faith, he's not talking about the statement of faith. I think we, we all know the dogmas of the faith. We, 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 we have some concrete beliefs in who God is, who the, uh, what the word of God is. And we have a concrete belief uh, in the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have concrete faith in what we believe about humanity and, and what we believe about heaven. Those are concrete. They're cemented in our souls. And he's not really talking about the statement of faith. He says, I want you to, to be upgraded with your, your faith, your belief system. And I have found that, that we need to upgrade 
our internal belief in the promises of God. Now, life has a way of beating us up. Life has a way of bearing down on us. In fact, life has a way of eroding away the faith that we have. Disappointments and problems and unresolved problems and conflicts that, 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 just can't, that we just can't seem to wrap our arms or our hands around. And there are problems that have a tendency to affect our faith. And that's why Paul talked about uh, and James talks about you got to look out for a wavering faith or a faltering faith or a fainting faith or a failing faith or a weakened faith or a beaten down faith or a bruised faith. Our faith can be affected. When bad things hit me, my faith gets attacked. My belief system uh, comes under the attack. And many times I begin to question, I wonder what God is doing. And sometimes if you really get beat up, there are people who begin to question God. Is God really as good as he says he is? Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe God's angry with me. And, and sometimes our faith just gets beat up. We go through such intense problems. We have a tendency to question. We question whether or not we're doing the right thing or we question whether or not God is as good as we think he is. Faith. And you don't have to walk too long in this journey of life to realize you got to constantly upgrade your faith. We need a strong reaffirmation in Christian realities. There are three things I, I want to talk to you about today about upgrading faith, three areas of faith that, that affects you where you are in your personal life. And I don't think we take any issues over the statement of faith. We all come together in concrete agreement with that. But there are three areas I want to talk to you about that's affected my life. And it's affected my life. I know it's affected your life. And first of all, we needed an upgraded faith that advances our pilgrimage. A pilgrimage is a, a, is a journey to a sacred place. When I got saved, I began my journey for heaven. I'm imperfect and I have problems and I have issues just like you have issues. And many times we come under satanic attack to stop us in our work. But nonetheless, we are on a pathway to the kingdom of God. Psalm said this, Psalms 119 verse 54, thy statues or the word of God has been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. David said, in my journey, the word of God is my sustenance. The promises of God, the word of God, they are the song. These are the things that I sing about. This, these are the things that give me hope and promise. Faith has everything to do with staying on the journey and, and focus with tenacity. In fact, the Christian life has always been, been compared to a, a pilgrimage, a journey, or a traveling on a highway to a specific destination. I like what Isaiah 35, 8 says, and a great road will go through that once deserted land and it will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways and fools will never walk there. On this pilgrimage, there are challenges along the way that can easily tempt us to detour from this pilgrimage and exit. There are many times in my Christian walk I thought, you know, it'd be a lot easier just to get off this highway. 
And because a lot of times we, we get on this highway or we start living for God and we have this, we're disillusioned. We think, we think that because we are a child of God that we're going to be free from trials and temptations. We think that life is going to be a lot easier. But, but we have underestimated the power of the devil because once you get on that road, you have become under intense attack. Because the devil would love more than anything, to knock you off on your journey and your walk for God. There, there are two things that as we walk with God that attack us. Number one, we could be tempted to resign our pilgrimage because of the difficulties. Because of difficulty. The path that we take in our Christian life can take a sharp twist and a turn that makes it hard to maintain our balance, our spiritual Equilibrium can be messed up. We, we, we have these expectations that, that the Christian life is going to be fantastic, but when troubles and trials come, it can mess us up. And then also the path can be laborious at times because we feel the strain of walking up a steep terrain. Mountain climbing is tough. I've done it a few times, and I've got just a little ways up the mountain, and it looks easy from a distance, but when you start that ascent... When you start up that mountain, you feel the strain of gravity coming down on you. The Christian life can be a strain. The path can be scary at times as it descends through rugged cliffs and valleys. I'm scared of heights. And sometimes in the Christian life, there are depths and problems and areas that God takes us. And it can become scary at times. And we can be tempted to say it's too hard. There are a lot of Christian who, Christians who say, I've become weary in well-doing. I've become faint in the spirit. It's too difficult to live for God. It, it's, too, it's too hard to, to live a life of self-denial. It's too hard to live a life of sacrifice. It's too hard to be continually faithful all the time. The demands of the Christian many times are difficult, and, and we resign ourselves to think it is easier to go to the road, the broad road, the road that many are going to hell, and say, you know, I'm just going to go back to the way of the world. I'm just going to just give in to the easy street, and I'm not going to follow the Lord any longer. I can't deal with it. Many people give up, and they resign because of the difficulty of the Christian faith. And God gives us a, a warning. He says in Jeremiah 18, 15, I love what he says, but my people are not so reliable. And he's talking about the Israelites. For they have deserted me. They have stumbled off the ancient highway. And they are, now they're walking in muddy paths. Many Christians get on that walk and they start living for God. And they, they have, again, a false expectation. This is going to be a, a rosy ride right into the kingdom of God. No, it is a narrow path. It is a, it's a path of self-denial. It is a path of saying, Lord... I'm heading to a wonderful destination, and even though it's difficult, I know, God, that you can hold me up and help me get there. How can we find the grit and the determination to stay on the path of holiness, this path of righteousness, this path of eternal destination? How can I stay on this path toward heaven? And that is faith, faith that the Bible is true and every promise of God will come to pass. The devil is a liar. He lies to our spirit. He tells us it's not worth serving God. He tells us that, that serving God is laborious and that the promises of God are really not that true. 
But we got to come back and embrace the promises of God. And the promises of God is this. Our life is nothing but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We have this little window of time to live for God. And compared to eternity, Paul says it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that one day shall be revealed in us. And we got to come back to the basic truth. There's nowhere else to go but to Jesus Christ and to the eternal city of God. There, There is no other place to go but to live toward eternal values. We've got to come back and upgrade our faith that this is the only way. Look to your neighbor and say, this is the only way. Can you do that? And then number two, we can be tempted to resign our pilgrimage because of spiritual failure. This is the number one reason why people get off the highway because they fail And failure is not fatal to our spiritual journey. In other words, just because we fail at times in our spiritual life, it doesn't mean that God is through with us or he's changed his plans for us. And you might have stumbled and you have probably, you have fallen spiritually. And the good news is the blood of Jesus Christ can wash you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And he can set your feet back up upon the rock and you can get back on that road. No matter what you've done or what your past is, if it's under the blood, you've been set free to go forward. You can go. When we falter and when we fall, we got to get up, dust ourselves off and keep traveling forward. We must not be tempted to walk off the ramp of failure and resignation. We've got to get over our embarrassment and awkward feelings of failure and go forward. And we all have times of failure. But thanks be to God for his unconditional love because failure is not fatal, folks. And while we're walking on God's highway of holiness, there will always be the flashing, tempting detours vying for our attention, detours that make us take us off the highway of spiritual growth. No matter how loud they scream at us or no matter how hard they bargain with us or no matter how hard they try to tempt us and no matter what they promise to us, no matter how they deceive us into believing that they have the key to happiness. The fact of the matter is our world is lost. They're groping in darkness. They have no hope. And when this earthly life is over, to them, it's eternal destination of hell forever. But thanks be unto Jesus Christ who has provided salvation to you and I. And when our earthly journey here is over, we're entering into a state of bliss. As that song was just sung, we will enter into a place that is unimaginable for every child of God. We're going to lay our burdens down. Sin will be removed from our presence. And we will stand in the glory and the presence of God and with the saints of God. And there we will be for all eternity fixed in the heavens there in all of eternal glory. I say amen to that. They are nothing more than Satan's trap to pull us away from God's desired plan of transformation. The old Hollywood wants us to think that they got the corner on bliss. I was looking through my smartphone the other day, and it was talking about, look at all the fancy Hollywood people now in the 21st century. And I looked at some of these who are once beautiful, shining lights, old, leathered, weathered, worn, overweight, balding. And I thought to myself, that's what life will do to you. And their glory days are over. 
Now they're vying for cheap commercials. They're trying to look for some kind of a thrill, a quick hit of something. But for the child of God, we should not be worrying about where the world is. We should be worrying about our journey and our constant walk toward the kingdom of God. Upgraded faith advances our pilgrimage and keep us committed to remain faithful until the end of our journey. And then number two, we need to upgrade faith. We need an upgraded faith that forbears our testing. One thing about the Christian life, God always puts us through tests. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We all go through hard times. No one's exempt. If you're truly a child of God, you're going to go through times of testing. We've got to learn how to overcome them through Christ. Sometimes God allows or even arranges for us to go through difficulties in this life because it's during those times we grow in our faith and develop more character of Christ. If he left us always in the sunshine, we'd dry up. God has to bring rain and storms, and, and it, there's something in our innate nature that when we get comfortable, we have a laxness. We, have, we become relaxed in our spiritual effort. We stop praying, and that, that need to seek God just seems to just evaporate, and we have a tendency to wander. I have it. You have it. When things are going well, we have a tendency to let up from praying, let up from the Bible reading. We, we, we love to coast, and, and, but God allows the fires and the problems to come into our life because he wants us to stay in that intense moment of needing God. He wants us to sing that song, every hour I need thee. I can't take one step without holding your hand. I can't stand the Christian life without you, Lord. I can't even walk without you, Lord. He wants us to live so dependent upon him. He's the very breath of our life. He's the very sustenance of our life. He's the very provider of life. He is the one that, that gives you strength to get wealth. He's the one that helps you walk through life. He wants you to live in a total state of dependence upon him. He loves that. We need an upgraded faith that our troubles will work for our good and not for our demise. Testings reveal what we're really made of. They test us. And until we're in that situation where we have no choice but to face an issue that's painful, we don't really know what we would do. James 1, 2 said, consider it wholly joyful when we experience painful trials. Verse 3 goes on to say that the trial and the proving of, of your faith brings out endurance and steadfast and patience. It's easy to overreact when we're tested. Sometimes we begin to think that God is against us. I've thought that. I've gone through times where it, it's been so painful that I begin to feel that, man, what did, what, did, what did I do? Or why is God angry with me? And not realizing that God is allowing things to come into my life because he wants me to draw closer to him. 
He wants to prepare me for things ahead. He wants me to be empathetic with other believers. He wants me to go through some valleys so I can comfort them when they go through their valleys. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. It's God's will for us to stay in peace and make decisions with godly wisdom in every circumstance of our lives. We can face our trials and tests with joy when we understand it's the going through the problem is how we have to learn God's peace. Upgraded faith forbears our testing. How do we pass our test? What happens when we lose faith in times of testing? And we're going to be tested. What happens when we lose our faith when we get tested? One, we can be tempted to go back to an old habit or addiction. If there are habits or addictions lingering in the past, and when we're going through difficult times, the devil will try to tempt us to go back when we're having a hard time. We could, we could be tempted just to, to quit and go back. When we're going through times of testing, we, we can be tempted to get angry with God. We get angry that God allows trouble to come into our lives. We think it's undeserved, and we think, Lord, I've done this, and I've done that. I'm not a bad person. And look at this person over here. They, they've done criminal acts, and I've been a good, outstanding citizen. And, and, Lord, it's not right that you allow trouble to come into my life. And we, we judge God unfairly, and we get angry with God. Trials can tempt us to become indignant. I've seen people go through hard times, and they become very angry or upset and, they, and indignant that, the, that they feel that the trial was unfair or the difficulty they're going through is unreasonable. They begin to question, why is this happening to me? And fourthly, we can go AWOL. We can also be tempted to take matters into our own hands. When difficulty comes our way and we are tested we have a tendency to take matters into our own hands and we, we think, well, I'm out here by myself and I'm just going to do what I need to do and, and I'm not going to allow myself to be thrown into a place of hurt again. I'll just remove myself from God's will altogether. I'll just, I'll just make it myself. We're going to be tested. Every believer is going to be tested. A faith that is never tested is a faith that can never be trusted. Car makers go to great extremes in attempts to keep their cars safe for the public. To make sure their cars live up to the consumer's safe standards. And car makers or auto workers test their cars in all types of environments. And they, they come up with all of these beatings and rigorous tests to, 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 to see whether or not the parts of this car or the car itself is going to hold up on the highways. Because they don't want to be liable for something that would fall apart and hurt somebody. The idea behind car testing is that it allows the manufacturers to work out all the kinks and the potential problems, and they want, it to, they want the problems to work out in that room of testing instead of out on the highway. And if a test later reveals a problem that is unchecked, they are immediately recalled. 
You've had that. I've had cars recalled because they found out that there was a certain part of that car that was not tested accurately or properly, and they recalled it and brought it back, and they said, we have to redo this. We have to rethink this. And this is exactly what God does in our life. He, he, he puts us through tests and make sure that we can be trusted during times of pressure and storms and extensive ministry. He makes sure that we hold out in times of difficulty by not quitting or leaving our post or walking away in times of hardship. He desires to know the real intent of our heart by allowing trouble to be checked and, and worked on in our heart that we will be faithful toward him in the dark moments. The trouble that God allows to come against us is not an act of God's dislike for us or God's anger toward us, but rather a test to see what is in our heart. It's easy to say, I love Jesus when things are going well. It's easy for you to have faith in God when God has blessed you abundantly. It is easy to say and do all of, the thing, all, all of the th uh, these things, but can you be trusted when you're thrown into the fiery furnace? That's what happened to Job. He went through times of testing, and he found himself in a dark place. The devil came to God one day and said, the reason Job is so blessed is because you put a hedge of blessing about him. You made it easy for him. And the devil said, take away the hedge, take away the blessings, and he'll curse you. And God put Job to the test. He allowed the devil, for the exception of taking his soul, allowed the devil to come into his life. And my gracious, that devil created havoc. But God permitted it. Because God wanted to test Job, not only for himself, but also for the knowledge of the devil. And Job went through an intense time of trouble. He had 10 funerals in one day, buried all 10 kids. His marriage fell apart. His employers were killed. His business failed. He went from a hero to zero just in a day's time. His health failed. Boils broke out in his body. The only place he could find comfort was on a, a soft bed of burnt ashes. His wife came up to him and his faith was just about ready to tip over. And his wife says, why don't you just curse God and God die? Don't you see that life is trouble? And he said, no, I won't curse God. I'm going to bless him in the good times and I'm going to bless him in the bad times. But Job went into this dark place. He was grieving. No support from his wife. Business gone. Financial calamity. And God stepped back. It's part of the test. God didn't leave him. He just stepped back. God hid himself. And Job said this in that dark moment. He says, behold, I go forward and God is not there. I, I go backwards and God is not there and I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where God did work at one time, he is not there. On the right hand, I cannot perceive him. He hideth himself that I cannot see him. But this is what Job said. But he knoweth the way that I take. I know God's watching me, and I shall come forth as gold. He was saying, I, 
this is painful, this is dark. I'm left alone in my darkness. I'm left alone in this state of depression, in this state of calamity. But I do have this one concrete fundamental belief that no matter what I go through, I know that God is good and God will bring good out of this dark situation. He says, I shall come forth as gold. The next time you're being tested, tell God, I trust you. This is good for me. It doesn't feel good. It's devastating, but I know you will work it out for my good. You'll get closer to God as you go through the test. And on the other side, you'll thank him for using it to make you more like Jesus Christ. He burns the dross of worldliness out of us during times of trials. He burns away all that clutter in our life that is meaningless. And he he brings everything down to a boiled moment that all we have is God. I had gotten word one day that my mom had three weeks to live, four weeks at the most. And I was pastoring a church in Montgomery, Alabama at that time. And uh, I told my wife, I said, I I just got to go up and spend time with her. And I feel guilty that half the time I'm I'm down in the south. I was a thousand miles away from her. And uh, I told her, I said, I've got to, I got to go back up. They, They spent three or four days with her. My wife, we all jumped the car and we, we drove up and we, we spent several days with her. The last night I was there, I, there was no one in the room. She was in her bedroom by herself. And I thought, this is a good chance for me to just go sit with my mom because this will probably be the last time that I'll speak with her on this earthly scene. And I, I went in and I, I was so keenly perceptive of what was going around her. And I, I remember pulling up a chair, and I pulled it up by the side of her bed, and, and she was starting to get weak. But her spirit was strong. And I said, Mom, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. I said, you were there for me in my dark times, and I want to be here for you. And she looked at me, and she goes, oh, it's going to be okay. When your life is in the hands of God, it's all good, Tim. But I notice, I kept looking to the left and on her nightstand, I'll never forget this, her Bible was open to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. She was reading about heaven. And my mom was, and Mel May will know this, my mom was never one to get up and speak loud. She, was, she had a quiet faith. But I noticed as she had places underscored in her Bible about God wiping away the tears, about the city of God. And to me, it was like so surreal. It's like in just a few weeks, my mom, the person who I loved, was going to be transitioned into the kingdom of God, this place that I've been preaching about and teaching about. And I remember sitting there, and I remember her solid faith of faithfulness. Cancer just ravaged her body. They comforted her with the medicine, and she was like, Tim, as long as your life is in the hands of God, it's going to be fine. I'll never forget the sweet feeling of peace. That did me good. It did me good. That helped me. And we talked about things, and I said, Mom, I'd like to pray. She goes, 
go ahead. And I prayed. And she grabbed me right before I left and she said, don't worry. It's all good. It's all good. That was the last things that she said to me. And a couple of weeks later, it was on Father's Day. I got a phone call, and they said, Mom went into a coma. She's, she'll be gone before you get here. And we got there, and I was able to get to her bedroom right before she took her last breath. We flew up from Atlanta, and, uh, and there was that Bible. Still open, Revelation chapter 21, 22, about heaven. As I was looking at her getting ready to pass away, I kept looking at the scripture. Faith. That upgraded faith. In her testing, she passed the test. When we had our funeral, she had this little banner over her feet. And basically this little banner said, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. And I thought to myself, I was right there at the end of her journey. And she was faithful. A faithful pastor's wife, a faithful mother, a faithful prayer warrior, faithful in the word of God. Later on, my, my sister Trudy, they gave her, my older sister, my mom's Bible. It's the place where Revelation 21, 22, the actual Bible that she had by her. And my sister Trudy came up and she said, Tim, and this is the Lord. I feel mom would want you to have this Bible. And she gave me the Bible. And it was just like that black and white checkered flag that just said, you've won. You have finished the race. That Bible means so much to me because it was that place that God gave her that in the time of great testing, she stayed sweet under fire. Her faith was strong. She knew where she was going, and she completed the race. And I know right now in heaven, there's great rejoicing because from the day she started of her salvation experience to the day she went home to be with the Lord, she finished it well. And I learned in my spirit right then, no matter how difficult the Christian life is, no matter how high the mountain or steep the valleys, I'm going to stay with it till Jesus calls me home. And I want my kids to be able to look and say, Dad was faithful to the end. He stayed with the stuff. He died putting his faith and trust because in the end, it is all good. It is good. And then number three, an upgraded faith intensifies our receptivity. Job, in his life, before the trials came, he had a, a know-it-all spirit about him. And God said, you know, i got to break this in you. So you see sometimes we, we, in our faith, we've been saved a long time. We have all the platitudes, all the cliches. we got it all worked out. We think we know God. But the fact of the matter is, is we don't become receptive to the voice of God. And Job in chapter 42, a great scripture, chapter 42, 2 and 5, Job says, I know that you can do anything, God, and I know that no one can stop you. And then God responds, 
Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? Who's this person who thinks they got the corner of knowing God? Job, I know, just the self-confidence. You know, some of us have been saved a long time. We think that no one can tell us anything because we, we got a few Bible verses under our belt. We have a few Bible lessons and we think we know. You know what the fact of the matter is? The older I get, the more I realize I don't know him the way I should know him. Job says this, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom in such ignorance, God says. And Job says, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. God said, listen, and I will speak. I have questions for you and you must answer them. And, and, and this is what Job says, I had only heard about you before, but now I see you with my own eyes. Job confessed that he was good at running his mouth off about God, but actually didn't know anything accurate about him. He confesses that he had become a professional philosopher and theologian about God and his opinions about God, but he never actually knew the real true nature of God. And there's a danger of saying and hearing a lot of things about God without experiencing his, a personal relationship with him and hearing his voice. And a lot of us, we have become professional Christians. We've been saved so long that our, that our receptivity to the voice of God of where we are today is shut down. We have a problem when we allow little Bible knowledge create a know-it-all attitude that fails to be receptive to his voice. It's easy to become opinionated and brash, and many believers sport a dogmatic spirit that fails to be open to the voice of God. And because they know it all, they are deaf to God's new revelation of himself to them, and they are closed with their haughty ideas about God and fail to grow. And this was Job's problem. He knew it all. There's a danger of being a professional Christian. We can spout off great spiritual platitudes, brag about our lofty ideas, but truly, really lack our understanding and knowing the Almighty. God says, you assume too much about me. Job says, I've said a lot of things about God. I've heard a lot about you but I really haven't heard you. He says in verse six, he says, I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Nothing offends God more than we act stuffy and arrogant and professional about knowing it all and fail to be open to his voice for us today. Sometimes God will bring his voice into our life by another believer. Sometimes God desires to speak to us and, and to reach us. And sometimes we've got to be open to that voice that comes alongside of us. In fact, I think about Acts chapter 8. I think about that story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He was just sitting in his chariot and he's riding slowly along the road. And he was reading the book of Isaiah. And he didn't know what he was reading. And, and, and the Holy Spirit told this young man, Philip, who was probably around 28 years of age. He says, Philip... Go after that chariot. There's a man there, and I want you to go alongside of that chariot, and I want you to ask him a question. Would he like help? Go help him. 
And the Bible says it, that Philip ran to the chariot and he saw the Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot and, and young Philip looked up at this very prominent man and he, he looked up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, no, I don't understand. He said to this guy, hey, why don't you come up into my chariot? He urged, the Bible says, Philip to come up and sit by him and explain to him this verse about this one who would die for the sins of the world. You know what? I think about that. I think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He was a very significant man. He was the treasure for the Ethiopian queen. Now, those queens back then were warriors. They were not like Barbie dolls sitting on plastic thrones. They were warriors. Even Alexander the Great was scared of them because these women were full of wisdom and might. This was the home of Queen of Sheba who, who brought back the, 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 the theological truths of the greatness of Jehovah God from, from King Solomon. And, and the Ethiopian queens were very much embracing the gods of Israel, the God of Israel. And this Ethiopian eunuch, who was a treasure, he was a, an aged man, a, he was a valuable man, a prominent man, he was connected to royalty. And here you got this 20-year-old, some guy coming up and saying, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And we thank God for the Ethiopian eunuch because in his day and in his place, he was open to the voice of God. I challenge you today. We need to upgrade the intensity of our reception. Job said, I know about you. I've talked about you. I've heard lessons about you until I saw you. And when I saw you, I've been open to the God that I never knew. And he was so decimated by the power and the awesomeness and the greatness of God. He said, I took everything back that I said. I just ran my mouth. I just talked about things that it, I didn't even know what I was talking about. But I sat in the ashes and I said, Lord, help me to be open and to be receptive to the greatness of who you are in my life. And you know what? God today doesn't want you to look at him in a little canister of ideas that you've set on your shelf. and receive. He wants you to see him as the great God that he is. He wants you to be receptive to him. He wants you to be open to him. He wants you to, to, to be open to him in the spirit of humility and receive him. Receive him and all of his greatness. An upgraded faith advances our pilgrimage. An upgraded faith forbears our testing. An upgraded faith intensifies our reception of him. This morning, God wants you to know him. He is a great and awesome God. And he wants you to know him, not only as Lord and Savior, but he wants you to know him in his personage. He wants you to know him in his greatness in his omnipotence, in his omnipresence. He wants you to know him in his sovereignty. This morning, I pray today that if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, I want you to know he is the only true God. He's the only Savior. He's the only hope. My friend, he's the only door that will get you into the kingdom of God. With every head bowed and every eyes closed.